the most important thing you could share with me today is your perspective. Because the freedom of perspective fuels the logic we use to defend truth. We never stop fighting for freedom and truth, and that is what makes us Americans. Welcome to Critical Thought with Noah Chalaya. Radio 1310 KNOX 107.9, 103.3 FM. Good morning, 906.15 out. Daytime high today, falling temps. My name is Noah Chalaya. I am your host. Delighted to be here with you as we kick off another show. House Bill 1198, introduced by Mike LaFour, a Dickinson Republican and the House Majority Leader, would require those making open records requests to identify themselves and provide personal contact information. There are valid reasons to make anonymous requests for records. Remember that open records requests themselves are open records. And under this proposed law, someone trying to research a hot-button political issue such as abortion could see their home address, phone number, and other identifiable details it's shared with the opposition. So my question to you at 775-5559, should you be required to surrender your identity to the government to submit a freedom of information request? Freedom of information has to be one of the best things ever to come out of government. I believe that 100%. Transparency in government has been problematic since the inception of government, since before the inception of the American government. Transparency in government has been problematic. And for the first time, you know, it started with the idea that all of these, everything that happens in public is a matter of public record. And so when court, when things go to court or when, uh, you know, people are hired and budgets and all of those things traditionally have been very open and, and available to people. As we moved into the digital age where things didn't happen inside of a closed meeting where meeting minutes are kept and those sorts of things. All of a sudden, all of the undertable discussion and all of the undertable legislating and all of the undertable business that occurred from public officials, it changed because now all of a sudden it's out in the open. And so it made sense to start giving the public access to that. And if you think about it, when you sit down at work and you start a new job and your employer tells you, here's the email address that we want you to use and here's how you access it, certainly you're not foolish enough to believe that your employer doesn't have access to that same email address. And in the event that you're terminated, that they don't have a way to recover the emails that were sent to you, the emails that you sent to other people, and review them because you're acting as a representative of their company. That's true at every job. When you go and work for the public, when you go and apply for a job in the public, any job, everything from city, city government all the way up to president of the United States, You are working for the taxpayer. Therefore, the taxpayer has oversight over you. And so if you actually believe you're a servant of the people, this should be no big deal. You should not mind whatsoever that people can file a freedom of information request and get access to your email. But I'm interested in your thoughts. At 775-5559, you're on KNOX. Good morning. Yeah, this is a huge, oh, hell no. 
And the reason is this, is because it sets you up perfectly to become a target for whatever they may wish to if you become too bothersome. Well, here's the deal. The people's job is to be bothersome. And if it's an open record, it should be easily available. Currently, if you want records, especially voting records, you actually have to be a legislator to request many of them or they say none of your business. Another thing that I've been doing FOIAs is that they say, oh, sure, we can get that for you, but we're going to charge you for our time to find the information as well as to print it off. And we can't possibly send it to you through the email because that's not secure. So, in other words, they're trying to make it as difficult already for us to find out information that should be the people's information. And I think that this is nothing more than another attempt to cover their butt from doing stuff that they already know is questionable so that they can go on to doing stuff that's done outright illegal. So far as I understand it, the way the law is written today, they can only charge you if it takes more than an hour of time to uh, to complete the request. Do you think that that's a reasonable um, line to draw? So because you have people that they have other things to do other than fill freedom of information requests, do you think it's reasonable that they say, hey, over a certain time period, then we're going to start charging you to, uh, you know, to, to, to complete your request? Partially yes, partially no. Here's why. We're already paying those people to do a job. If it's truly an open record uh, idea, and those are truly records we should be able to have access to, then either allow us to find them easily, and if you've ever tried to navigate the state website, good luck to you. Yeah. So then why aren't they, why aren't they just posted then? If, if it's such a duty-bound problem, and we have to pay these people extra who we're already paying anyway, why not just make everything open? Why did they say that legislator emails uh, are private and can't be looked at? Why are they doing all this stuff to cover their track? You know, that's a really excellent point. I thank you for the call. You're right. This could be automated. This could absolutely be automated. You could take, you could say once a year or something like that, uh, we're going to dump the entire inbox of everybody and we'll put it up in an indexed repository and you can browse to the site and you go pick what you want and what you don't want, just gloss over kind of a thing. That's a great point. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. You're on KNOX. Good morning. Hey, morning, Noah. How's it going? I'm doing great. How are you? I can't complain. Can't complain. Uh, you know, this is an interesting topic here that we're talking about with FOIA investigations, or uh, you know, yeah, FOIA FOIA requests rather, and uh, you know, public access to politician or governmental emails, you know, and and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, any official business, any official business, should be public domain unless there is specifically some sort of clear and obvious attorney-client privilege type thing. Or, uh, you know, if there is any sort of PII, uh, personal identifiability, you know, information, Social Security stuff, you know, those kinds of things, medical records, whatever. That, that kind of stuff could be you redacted, know, it, though, right? You, you wouldn't have to necessarily deny redacted, them. Yeah. Right. But but one of the things that, you know, you look at with stuff like this and, and FOIAs and having to pay for it, all right, and, and, and I don't disagree with charging a fee for the time per hour because, yes, you're right, you, you've got a million different things to do and now I've got to go stop what I'm doing now and address the FOIA requests. I've received FOIA requests in, in my own job that I've had to go track down. Um <clears throat> But, 
you know, you start getting into some other things. I recommend to you, if she will call in, have a conversation with Jody Carlson about what they were trying to charge her to do an information request and get some emails and some other documentation. Uh, and, and I'm pretty sure it was the EDC. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was somewhere in the ballpark of, of $26,000 that they were going to charge her. And that included printing, that included all the, fi- you know, looking for stuff, things like that. So people will intentionally, when you start getting away from governmental stuff, but it's connected to government, mm-hmm. it starts getting into a gray area. And the EDC, it isn't government, but let's let's take a look at it. We've got three city government members who who are actively part of the EDC mm-hmm. um, between being on the board, being an administrator, and being a ch- on the, the chair for the growth fund. All right, you, you're now connected. Um, so anything that's going on there, there's that gray area connection, whether you like it or not. What, that, you, hey, what are your thoughts on automating going it? On. What, what, if, what if you just automated the process? So you've had to fulfill the request. It, was it something that you think required a human to go through and look through? Or would it have been possible to just post that information somewhere publicly? And if people were interested, they could go dig through it. It depends on the information that you're trying to get, Noah. I mean, like, I've had to, hey, I've had to, pardon the noise, I've had to dig back through records you know, that are 50, 60 years, you know, uh, or, or more. Okay. And, uh, and, and there aren't digital copies, sure. you know, because maybe, maybe the format is not currently easily transferable. Yeah, see, that's when it makes sense to me to have to be able to say, okay, we'll charge you a little bit of money to do that because you've got to go back and dig up the paper record and then scan it or do whatever you need to do to get it to the person. Yeah, but if there's a way to automate it, yeah, it should be automated, and it should be done to where you can, you know, <laughs> to to rip off a phrase, uh, you know, to be able to dial it into a NAS ass of, uh, you know, what you're looking for, um, and you should absolutely be able to do that. Uh, and if it's all automated, that that prevents that prevents the organization that you're requesting from from. Oh, we neglected to find a document. <laughs> Which, you know. It hey. happens. Yeah, 100%. Happens. I yeah, appreciate the call. Thanks. Uh, you make excellent points. I, I, I think this could be automated. I think a lot of this could be, especially when it comes to emails, which seems to be one of the most popular things to be requested, freedom of information. So people write in and say, hey, I'm looking for so-and-so's emails. The other thing that automating would do is it would remove the human barrier because there is, a, even if there isn't an intentional barrier insofar as a cost or I have to trade my identity to be able to do it, even if there isn't those barriers, simply having to pick up the phone and talk to another human being, there is a, there is a gatekeeper there. There's somebody that you have to get past in order to get the information that you want. Now, there are people like me that don't really care, so it, it it it's fine. Like you can call and you can be snotty to me or not be super happy that you're on the phone with me. I don't really care, but the, I could see how that's off putting to some people. But I, I appreciate the call. Thanks for thanks for joining us again. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. Text messenger says this at at seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. Open record laws need to take into consideration that these people that make volumes volumes of requests. To be an intentional nuisance. These people have a disruptive agenda rather than an inquisitive one. Okay, so let's talk about that for a second. Is it true that if with any privilege somebody is going to abuse the system? 100% it is. So are there going to be people that file nuisance requests? Absolutely. 
is there going to be some Yahoo out there that sits down in his basement going, <laughs> you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to file like 100 record requests every day and that'll be funny. Yes, that person exists. That's just the cost of operating a transparent government because unfortunately you serve that guy too. Here's what you might do though. What we might do is what if you had the choice between giving up your identity or paying a cost? I'm actually okay with paying a cost. I think the information should be available and you should be able to request it. But I fall short of saying it has to be provided free of charge. In part because that isn't possible, right? It's not fiscally possible to take a task, any task, and have it be performed for free. Somebody has to do the work. So if we want to have a conversation about automating the process and posting those things in some sort of public repository and people can go look through it, I think that would be fantastic, even if, this, even if the website to do so is difficult to navigate. But if you're going to say, yes, we have to allow people to fulfill these requests, or we have to fulfill these requests, and we don't, we, won't, we don't want to create any barriers that would prevent somebody from accessing the information. A dollar amount seems like an okay way to do that. And maybe in lieu of a dollar amount, you put your name and your address and personal identifiable information. You pay with it that way. I think either of those things could be a possible solution or could potentially work. Because, again, if you want to be a nuisance, fine. You can be a nuisance, but we know who you are. On the other hand... If you want to be a nuisance and you want to pay for it, that's fine. The state's taking in money. You're paying for the time that you're using. And eventually, if it got to a point, and this is kind of why I like the money model, if eventually, if it gets to a point where it's just, hey, we're so overwhelmed with FOIA requests, that's all we're doing. Well, fine. Are they paying for it? Yes, they are. Every time somebody fills one out, we you know, we charge them 10 bucks or 15 bucks or whatever it is. All right. Well, how about we just hire somebody at 15 bucks an hour, and then they can go fill the FOIA requests. It's scalable that way. It seems like it could work that way. We'll take the first break here. We'll pick it up on the other side. This is Critical Thought on KNOX. Thirteen ten KNOX 1079-1033 FM. Good morning, 925-15 out. We're talking about open records requests. House Bill 1198 introduced by a Dickinson Republican would require that those making open records requests identify themselves and provide personal contact information. And so, you know, the idea here is freedom of information, I, I would articulate to you, is one of the best things ever to come out of government. And so I, I don't know why there is this constant pushback. It seems like public officials search for reasons to limit and or shut down the idea of FOIA requests. And I, I frankly, I don't understand it. Now, one of the things that a caller brought up before the break that I wanted to circle back to is she said the response that she's gotten from government officials when she's requested information in the past is, well, we can't send it to you by email. We have to charge you to print it out because it's not secure to send it by email. And that's true. 
email is not encrypted. So if you send an email from one person to the other, the mail provider on both sides, so if the state's using Microsoft Office 365, Microsoft gets a copy of that email. If you're using, you know, let's say Hotmail on your side, well, let's use something else. Yahoo on, on your side, Yahoo gets a copy of that email, and then you get a copy of the email, and of course the state has a copy of it. So it does. It's not secure. But to that, I would respond, who cares? In fact, here's an idea. What if every time a FOIA request was filed, because the FOIA request itself is public, why not just post the information? You, went, you paid somebody to go through the trouble of digging it up one time. If somebody else is interested in that same information, then you could not have to pay somebody. You could lower the burden by not having to pay a person a second time to go through and dig up the same information that you already paid somebody to do. Just put it up on a website somewhere and let people browse through it. Now, again, it's not that I don't see the problems with posting all of this stuff directly online without any uh, with with without a request actually being there. I get why people might be uncomfortable with that. I've had I've had more. Actually, I've had numerous public officials tell me at some time or another. Well, I'll be having a conversation and I'll say something along the lines of do you want me to email that to you or do you? No, please don't. Why not? Well, it's just freedom of information stuff. I just I'd rather I'd rather not. You know, and so they're aware of it. And, you know, to be honest with you, I think that's a good thing. I think that's a really good thing, because what it shows me is that the transparency removes the incentive to do work under the table. It means that they understand that people that that they are responsible to the people. And if you know that something can or will come out at any time, it encourages you to act as if you're being surveilled or if you're under scrutiny 24 hours, seven days a week, which is exactly what public officials should be under. They absolutely should be under scrutiny 24 hours, seven days a week so far as they're doing, you know, government work to the extent that they're acting in their official capacity. Everything they do should be monitored and it should be available so that we can look and look, why would you not want that? If you actually believe you're a servant of the people, why would you not want the people that you serve to be able to provide informed feedback of the judgment of your actions? How many times do you hear this from a public official? Well, there were mitigating circumstances. There were things outside of my control. There's information that I, ha- that I know that I'm privy to that you don't have. And that's why. Why don't we just remove that barrier? If the argument is you're able, you had to make these decisions or you make difficult decisions precisely because you have information, you have access to information or because there were things that colored your, your decision, why would you not want all of that information to come out so that anybody can look and say, man, if I woke up in that guy's shoes, I would do the exact same thing. Look at what he's dealing with. On this side, they're saying that. On that side, they're saying this. All of this stuff leads to transparency. And I get it. There's a burden. I understand that. As, as a person who has worked for numerous medical clinics, I get I, I, I see it with patient requests. You have a patient that a doctor has been tracking for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, which is not entirely uncommon, especially in family practice situations. That patient comes in, says, well, good news. I'm 69 years old, I'm 70 years old. And I'm retiring and moving to Arizona. Congratulations. When are you leaving? Oh, the flight takes off three weeks from now. So I need my medical records. Oh, my gosh. You know, talk about a lot of work to get all of that gathered up and printed up. So I get it. There's a burden. I understand that. But you know what? And I also understand that people are going to abuse the privilege. But you know what? Trans uh, tr- Transparency comes at a cost. And so 
it's fine if you want to say that the cost doesn't scale or the way that we're doing the cost doesn't scale. I can accept that. But to just say we're not going to do it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. All right. We'll uh, take the break here. We'll head over to the KNOX newsroom. We'll get the latest from Doug Barrett. Pick it up on the other side. This is Critical Thought on KNOX. Radio 1310 KNOX 1079-1033 FM. Welcome back. 1039-16 above. The phone number, if you'd like to be a part of the program, 775-5559. Make your voice heard. You're on KNOX. Good morning. Is that me? That's you. Hey, happy, wonderful Wednesday. Wonderful Wednesday. I was looking forward to it. Good. Me too. Wonderful Wednesday. Well, I'm all with you on this open records and total, total transparency. Uh, We, the taxpayers, are the boss. We should be. And there should be no secrets. Mm -hmm. No secrets. It should be totally open. And I'm a big uh, proponent of uh, Little Grand Forks ward meetings. And perhaps uh, a, a mayor meeting. But these ward meetings... Uh, very few, very few, but it, it uh, gives us taxpayers an opportunity to talk to our city council person what we want and what we don't want without the time restraint of three minutes or five minutes or all that nonsense. And uh, we had one in my ward at Phoenix uh, School, I think November 16th or something. Mm-hmm. There happened to be uh, two council people there, and there was a turnout of like about 40 or 45 taxpayers. I have to maybe somebody was from out of town, but anyway, there's 40 or 45 people, and it was very civil. They raised their hands and uh, provided what they wanted and what they don't want, and kind of like a group think. Mm -hmm. And we should have those on a regular basis. How often do you Uh, you think we should have board meetings? I think once every three months. That's that seems four so once a quarter. quarter. Once a quarter. Mm-hmm. And uh, the same should apply for the federal people, the senators and the representatives, which are called town hall meetings. Mm-hmm. So we can talk eyeball to eyeball. And, you know, most people are not going to ramble on for a half an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, gentlemen and ladies and gentlemen, but tell them what we want and what we don't want. And the same with the state of North Dakota. Uh, our representatives and our senators should have more, you know, meetings, district meetings, whatever we choose to call them. And every state in the union should have that. Yep. We should have total access to our public servants without having to be a billionaire. I don't disagree with that. A, don't disagree with that at all, my friend. Or go through a lobbyist. We, the people, directly need to, and should have total 
access once every three months to our public servants. Have a wonderful day. You too, sir. I appreciate the call. 775-5559, the number to join us. You can call or text that same number. Email us live at knoxradio.com. So we're talking about open records requests and uh, a bill, House Bill 1198, introduced by Mike LaFour, a Dickinson Republican, that would require those making open records requests to identify themselves. Now, I don't think you should have to trade privacy for government transparency. I think that you should be afforded the opportunity to file a freedom of information request. And if the goal is to reduce nuisance requests, then I would be in favor of putting a price tag in front of it, paying people to do the work. And here's why the idea that the government can provide something to you from for free is utter nonsense. It doesn't work that way. And it doesn't work that way when it comes to food. It doesn't come. It doesn't work that way when it comes to housing. And so unfortunately, it doesn't work that way when it comes to research, which is what freedom of information is. You're asking the government to do research for you. Now, I fully 100 percent support the ability of the government to do it. I love the fact that people have taken it further than I might have and said the first hour of the research is free. If your if your request can be fulfilled under an hour, we don't charge you for that. When your request extends to past an hour, then we're going to bill you. I think that's perfectly reasonable. But if there's concern that there's too many frivolous requests, first of all, who gets to decide what frivolous is? Not you. Not you, the government. You don't get to decide that. So in, 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 in light of that, I could see putting a price tag on it and saying, hey, you just pay for this and then, and then you can fill out as many requests as you want. And so then the text messenger says this. How many times... How many ways and how many times do we provide the smallest expenses or perceived needs uh, to citizens as lesser means, bus rides, IDs, cell phones, and so on? Does lesser means means no longer concern citizen by creating any sort of a gateway? Somebody is being disenfranchised. And I don't disagree with that. If you're the homeless guy that's living on the corner of, you know, uh, on on 32nd next to, 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 you know, Best Buy and Target or whatever, you're going to have a harder time coming up with the money to file a freedom of information request than, than I will sitting here doing a job. That's true. But you're, somebody at the, at the state government, city government, federal government, somebody has to sit down and actually do the research, the work, and then compile it together. And I think it's reasonable to pay those people for their time. And if you've hired somebody to do another job, where somebody wrote in, I can't find the text message now, but uh, there's a text messenger wrote in and basically said that... The, Government officials spend a lot of time just sitting around, and I I understand what you're getting at. I've absolutely seen what you're talking about. At the same time, you that isn't everybody. You have people that are dedicated to their job and do a good job, and you have people that slack off and take advantage of the absence of supervision. That also happens, but that happens in both the private sector as well as the public sector, so I'm not willing to pin that entirely on 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 public officials a text messenger says this this guy you have on right now he says that we ask a question then you answer the question we do research get back to us in a timely manner the office you hold is not yours but remember your ideas mean squat our ideas are the ones that go through the clowns in this town telling you that you don't listen to them when you get a hundred people talking uh, to you to answer those questions a hundred people not the 10 that they think they own grand forks so if i'm deciphering that a little bit You don't, when you hold, holding public officials accountable is different from them agreeing with you on everything that you bring up, every concern that you bring up. There is a difference there. 
it is okay for a public official to run on an election, run on run on a set of terms or run on a set of ideas, get elected to the office, go to implement those set of ideas, have people push back on those ideas and explain in very reasonable ways, ask some va- very valid questions as to why they're doing these things and voice opposition. That is p- completely appropriate. It is it is completely appropriate to expect that those public officials will give you answers to your questions, maybe one time and or put that information up to where you can get answers to your questions. And then it's completely appropriate for those public officials to ignore you, the individual, and continue to do what they ran on and what people what everybody else around you elected them to do. That is perfectly acceptable as well. And I think we struggle with that last part a little bit. I think we feel like if somebody is in office, if I am a taxpayer, one of 50,000 in the city of Grand Forks, that if I call my city council person or I call my mayor, and they should listen to my idea and they should do what I tell them to do. And if I repeat myself enough times, eventually they'll get it through their thick skull that they have to do it this way. And that is a completely egocentric way of viewing government of any level. But this process could be automated. If I can renew my tabs online, if I can get my lab results from a clinic online, if I can order food online, you better believe that you could publish this information in a form and then you won't have to respond to these requests. Then you won't have to worry about paying people to do research. You won't have to worry about people paying people to print them off and get them to people and all of the burden that comes with it. Just put it up online. Everybody's email box. If you work for the state, if you work for the city government, if you work for the federal government, it goes up. You can go to the site, you can navigate, you click on the person you want, boom, there's all the emails. Hey, guess what? They can all automatically be exported in HTML, so they'll fit nicely into a website. It'll, it'll work great. And when, when you come across a situation where somebody says, I need this, I'm filing a FOIA request and I want it for you know this thing that happened 55 years ago. Oh, okay, well, that's written. I'll have to go back and dig it up. Fine. When you dig it up, scan it, post it on the site. Now you don't have to worry about printing it off. Now you don't have to worry about emailing it to anybody. You just they can go to the site and the, the it'll you know the, the the open request record says you know this this was requested. Here is the response that we had, or here's what we we're able to find. Now anybody can go look and say, hey, that's what somebody requested. Hey, that's what somebody found. And then you have to do the work one time until everything is out in the open and published. And then there's no more work to do. And if you want to take it one step further, just publish it right from the get go. Is the second something comes up. The second a document is available, the second any of it, throw it all on a website and let people sort through it and let people do their own research and their own work and then don't charge them. And now you've removed the barrier because they don't have to pay anything. You, It can be completely anonymous because you don't have to give up any identifiable information. Keeps everybody happy, right? Oh, wait, that would mean that everybody would be accountable. That would mean that you couldn't hide anything. Hmm. 775-5559, you're on KNOX. Good morning. Morning, Noah. Um, I'm just going to throw my opinion out there. Um, none of that's going to happen. The government will do everything in its power to not make it easier for us to obtain the information we seek. The government I've seen usually looks at us the way a snotty young teenager working at a retail store looks at a customer that walks in right when they're about to close. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion, Noah. Um, thank you for taking my call. Yep, I appreciate it. Seven, seven, oh, this should be good. 775-5559, you're on the air. You ever made an open records request? I have. Okay. And what was that experience like for you? Not pleasant. Not pleasant at all. The lady on the other end was, she, uh, her first question when I asked, I said, how do I go about this process? I've never done it before. And so I asked her, how do I go about this process? She acted like 
I was I was suspicious. I was up to something. Why would you ask that? Why are you interested in that? It was a very unpleasant experience. So, as referenced, this is more than a little bit of a pain in the tuchus, and here's why. If you call and you say, I'm making an open records request, there's a way that you do that. I believe with the city of Grand Forks, you would start at the public information office. They are going to ask you for your name, for your address, and then they're going to want to know what you're going to want. And let's just say for the sake of this discussion, in no way trying to take this conversation into a different area, but let's just say your open records request was every email between Mayor Brandon Botinsky and City Council President Dana Sandy with the words Fang in it between the months of January of 2022 and January of 2023. Okay. How many emails do you think are in that pile? A lot. Okay. So then they have to take those emails and they have to redact certain information. They have to go through and read every single one of them again. Then they have to package, and I know you discussed some nerd ways where that could all be handled better, but they don't do it that way because the city and other government entities are habitually very behind in technology and AI and all these other things. It may get better on the line, but for now, somebody has to go through that entire process. It also indicates that while you may be entitled to that information, I don't think there's anybody listening that would disagree with that, but... While you're entitled to that information, what it does do is it puts everybody on alert. We've had people that have uh, public uh, information requests for uh, city council individuals, and how many times have they used their government email to do personal business? Mm-hmm. And they, just, they use it for nefarious reasons. Yeah, but whose responsibility so, is that, though? What do you mean? Who's responsible? I'm not saying that that you shouldn't. I, I'm trying to offer some understanding as to why this is as complex and as much of an issue as it is. Is when you make a public records request. Well, again, all you freedom fighters out there will carry your swords and die at the altar because, dang it, I'm supposed to have that information. But where, where we run into issues is, and not, not a lot of disagreement there, but where there's, a, where there's a disagreement is in how you get that information, how much time it takes to get you that information, and then when you get a $1,000 bill on top of it, now we're mad because I'm already paying taxes, and damn it, these people work for me. Okay, but if you're willing to pay for it, then you would agree that it makes sense that they should comply with those requests, even if it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. I don't know of any government entity that is not willing to do those, to, do, to accommodate a request. They know they have to, but where the angst comes is public citizen guy thinks that I asked for it Monday at 7 a.m. I should have it Tuesday <laughs> by 3 p.m. And I've got, a, I've got a year's worth of emails I've got to sift through. And I've got to redact personal information of Fufung guy down in Chicago. And I've got to do all this other work. And they get frustrated. And by the time they get the packet of information, it's no longer relevant for whatever freedom fighting they were doing. I appreciate the call. I, that, that, that's an excellent perspective. And the, the other end of it, what people have to do 
to fulfill those requests, I think, is often overlooked. So I appreciate you bringing that to the forefront of the discussion. All right, we'll take the last break here. Wrap it up in the next segment. This is Critical Thought on KNOX. Thirteen ten KNOX 1079-1033 FM. Good morning, 1010-16 out. A Minnesota House panel is hearing testimony on a bill that will allow people in the United States illegally to obtain a driver's license in the state of Minnesota. A long-held goal of immigration advocates that may gain more traction this year in a democratic, farmer-labor-controlled state government. The Driver's License for All bill, sponsored by Representative Alicia Gomez, a DFL uh, of Minneapolis, would remove the requirement for licensing applicants to provide proof of citizenship of or lawful presence in the United States. Minnesota created this requirement 20 years ago, barring those without legal status from obtaining a driver's license. So our question to you at 775-5559, if we're going to give driver's license, To everybody who applies for one, regardless of if they're in the country legally or illegally, and we're not going to require any sort of citizenship verification, then what is to stop illegal immigrants from using that ID to vote or to apply for social services, any of the services? For every time we bring up illegal immigration and we start talking about the tens of thousands of people that are pouring across our southern border into the United States what do we hear from from pundits on the other side well they're that's they're not they're working hard they're just coming for a better life Noah they're just there to, to come for a better life and get some work done why do you always have to okay they're not applying for services they're not applying for anything they're not they're they're not committing identity theft they're working under the table okay all right so now in, in, in an effort to do this, then the very next step was, well, let's go round those people up. Let's go find them and let's go take them to court and let's prosecute them and let's boot them out of the country if it is proved that they came across illegally. And if they want to file an asylum claim, so be it. Wow. How are you going to find all those illegal immigrants? I mean, what are you going to do? Round them up and start knocking on doors and asking for papers? Well, I... Just a moment ago, you told me that you couldn't find them. Now you're telling me they're all going to show up at the DMV and apply for driver's license? And in doing that, you want to craft legislation to specifically bar people from asking if they're in the country legally? It sounds to me like we're not interested whatsoever in trying to find out where illegal immigrants are and getting them out of the country. Sounds to me like we're trying to fast track them into citizenship because at the end of the day, what really is citizenship? 775-5559, you're on KNOX. Good morning. Morning, Noah. Um, this is and isn't related. I was listening to the Fox News just a little bit ago, um, and they had a story out of Maryland to where uh, there's one city, and it actually sounds like it's trying to go statewide to where they want to reduce the voting age to 16. Okay. And and there's no citizenship requirement. Um, I think Andover is the one that's pushing part of this. Uh, as long as you've lived there for 
I forget how long it was, six months or something like that. You didn't have to be a citizen of the U.S. to vote in their elections. Now, this is coming, this is coming everywhere. And the reason they're doing this, and they make no bones about it, because the younger population traditionally votes Democrat. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it, it's the same thing with, with the driver's license and no citizenship. This stuff's coming. They're going to ram it down our throats. It is. Why do you think they're letting all these people into the U.S. illegally? And there are states talking about letting these people vote already. It just is. We don't have a United States of America anymore. I don't know where the hell a guy can move. But, uh, boy, something had better change real soon or this country is going to... I don't have a clue what's going to happen to our nation. Oh, I do. I think I have a pretty clue. I have a pretty good clue. I, I thank you for the call. I have a pretty good clue what's going to happen. I'll, I'll tell you, it, DACA, DACA is coming. DACA, it's, they are going to circle by. So, so here's how the process works. And this is part of what frustrates me about leftist policy is it's kind of like Jello. You can't, they, you put it in your hand and you try to squeeze it and hold it to even their own standards and use their own principles. And it just, it's like mush. There's nothing you can grip onto. There's nothing you can latch onto because it just, it's constantly changing and it's constantly changing form. So it goes something like this. You can't require people to have IDs to vote. Why? Because that's racist. How is it racist? Well, people don't have money to get IDs, so you you have to let them vote. Okay, so we're going to make it really easy to get IDs. We'll drive out to them, and we will give them IDs. If you live on a reservation and you can't get to a DMV, you can't take public transit, you can't ask somebody for a ride, you can't stop into the DMV next time you're in your town, okay, Fine. We will come to you and deliver you an ID if you are a legitimate voter. So, okay. All right. Now we've addressed the barrier to entry. So then it comes down to the only people that we are not comfortable having an ID because, again, if you ask somebody for proof of citizenship when they show up to vote, that's racist and and xenophobic and it causes all sorts of disenfranchisement of voters. And, of course, we can't do that. Okay. All right. So. Fine. They have to have a driver's license and we'll make it easy for them to get a driver's license. The only thing that separates a citizen from a non-citizen is the ability to prove that they they have the rights to to cast their vote. It seems like at every possible opportunity, we diminish our own ability to distinguish between citizens and non-citizens. What's funny to me is this seems to only apply to voting. It doesn't seem to apply to gun rights. If I came on the air tomorrow and said, you know what I think we should do? I think we should pass a bill that says that um, you shouldn't have to prove that you're not a criminal, that you haven't committed a crime in the past in order to go buy a gun. You should just be able to skip the background check, just look for a driver's license and make sure to make no markings whatsoever on that person of if they've committed a crime or if they have a violent past or any of that. Don't look. Bury your head in the sand like an ostrich. Quote, at a House Transportation Committee hearing on Tuesday, January 10th, Gomez said the bill aims to fulfill the basic needs for tens of thousands of Minnesota residents who need transportation to reach their jobs and medical appointments and bring kids to school. It's also about making the roads safer, she said. This bill is about safety for everyone that drives on our roads. It's about ensuring that people who are driving have access to insurance and have demonstrated that they understand the rules of the road and that they're able to operate a vehicle safely. Gomez said as she presented the bill, it's about vibrancy of our economy and human dignity. Follow that for a moment. Follow that for a moment. A person that comes into the country illegally, drives illegally, and her answer to this isn't to arrest them, 
for driving without a license is not to deport them for crossing the border illegally. No, her answer is give them a driver's license so that they can stay and vote. You know how else you can make the road safer? I have an idea. Arrest them for driving without a driver's license. And then the people that are here illegally deport them back to their own country. Guess what? If you arrest people that are driving without a driver's license, they can't drive on your roads. If you deport people that aren't supposed to be here back to their own country, they can't drive on your roads because they're on the other side of the border. That's how that works. 775-5559. You're on KNOX. Good morning. I hope everyone saw the clip of Biden in Mexico yesterday where he actually said he's trying to make it easier for them to come across. So You know what? It's out there. I don't care if he wants to make it easier to go across. At this point, I would very much welcome the opportunity to have a discussion openly about what it means to come across the border. So at least we can do that above board. I can get behind that. What I'm firmly 100 percent against is this idea that we are just going to let people slip in across the border. We're going to pretend that that didn't happen. And then we're going to start treating them like citizens. That to me is is total. It, it, it that makes no sense, and it's essentially lying. Well, the reason I want to point it out is because they keep saying the border is secure. So I, I just want to prove out. And by the way, if you want to know if Joe Biden's lying, just look up see if his lips are moving. <laughs> as to your as to your comment about, she said it, they want to make it easier for them to go to work, drop their kids off at school, et cetera, et cetera. I just want to bring this up: if they're illegal aliens, they're not allowed by law to work. Mm-hmm. So she's facilitating them to commit a crime. They tell us that they're not a burden on the taxpayers. If they're in our school systems as illegal aliens, who's paying for that? The well, citizens see, are, correct? Now you can't, again, you cannot hold progressives to their own standard, okay? So you, that, that's your well, first... No, they, they do have a standard, Noah. And they, if they didn't have a double standard, they'd have no standards at all. But they do have a standard. It's a double standard. But... But if again, if I try to apply those same principles, the idea that we have to treat everybody with dignity and trying to prove that somebody can legitimately exercise a right is is undignified, then why doesn't that apply to my Second Amendment rights? Why well, can we I don't know the answer to that? Well, I'm just saying. And, and in closing, I just want to say this: it's important to realize this for people. For those of you out, once again, my beloved mushy middle moderates who still can't make their mind up that we're in a fight for our country. You do realize the leftists, the liberals, the Democrats, or more aptly described, the communists, they don't believe in America. They don't believe in borders. They don't even want to be called a citizen of America. They want to be a world citizen. So if you don't see what's happening here is it's the destruction of America as a country because they are a member of the world. And, and frankly, They'd rather salute the United Nations flag than the American flag. You know what? And so I th- that's what the goal is. I thank you for the call. If that's the goal, fine. Then we need to do away with the welfare state because you can have it one of two ways. You can either have closed borders in a welfare state and we will take care of American citizens. I'm against, in general, I'm against wealth redistribution. But if you hold a gun to my head and made me choose, I'd rather give my money to an American than somebody from another country. It isn't possible. We don't have enough wealth to support the entire world. So that isn't a possibility. That goes out the door. So we need to draw the line somewhere. If we are either a country with borders or we are not a country with borders, if we are a country without borders, then we need to reduce our willingness to be a welfare state. If we're going to be a welfare state, we need to strictly enforce the border because it isn't going to work both ways. 775-5559. You're on KNOX. Good morning. Noah, I could not design a better way to disenfranchise people 
than the current United States system. Let me just give a very brief explanation of this. My issue with our border policy and our immigration policy in the U.S. is a halfway there policy going either way, whether you want to exclude everybody or include everybody. If you meet somewhere in that halfway point, you're going to have a system that absolutely fails. You either have to legitimize everybody who comes over as a citizen or you have to strictly enforce what it is what is required to become a citizen. Mm-hmm. When you when you give a quasi middle, you disenfranchise people in that quasi middle and you do it to the detriment of both that group and current citizens. And so when we talk about you must have an ID to vote, that is a great example of something where you have to draw draw a hard line on it. That shouldn't even be a debate in this country. You should have to have proof of citizenship to vote. What the debate should be is whether you're going to allow everybody in and then legitimize them or you're not. Mm -hmm. You're going to require strict enforcement. When we allow people to cross that border and not become a citizen but stay here, we don't only harm ourselves, we harm them because now they're going to be subject to the inability to enforce wrongs done to them wages that they're not supposed to be paid that are too low, mm-hmm. crimes committed against them, access to resources they should have. They're not going to dare report. They're not going to have enforcement. So you have to pick one or the middle, and that's what drives me crazy about politicians because we have been sitting in this mushy, disgusting middle for way too long. And to me, it's pick one or the other, tax, citizenship, legitimize, or you have to go through these legal channels or there's a real penalty to pay. And the ID, the ID thing is just, to me, a total nothing burger that people debate when that's really not the larger issue. That was critical thought. You're right. You have two choices, right? When the people are coming across the border, if your intention is to let them stay here from the get-go, then why don't we just get that out of the way right off the bat and say, here's an ID. Here's your citizenship. Here's where here's where you're living. Here's the services you're eligible for. Here's the taxes you're going to pay. Here's how the American system of government works. If we just did that, at least we at least everybody would know where we stand in this in this way. Here's what's going to happen five years down the road, 10 years down the road. Here's what Democrats are going to say. They're going to say, what do you want to do? You want to kick people that have been here for 10 years out of the country? They were two years old when they came here. Now you want to round them up and kick them to a country they've never been into? And let, let me add to that, Noah, the politicians who say that to you are going to be the same politicians who have lobbyists in their back pocket who are benefiting off the labor of those individuals. Mm-hmm. And they're still, not, they're still not going to legitimize them. And so to me, there's bigger humanitarian concerns when we sit in the middle because truly, 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 everybody suffers in the middle. Whereas if we go one way or the other, we can have a legitimate program. And when we have a legitimate program, the people who are in benefit from it. Whether your view is exclusion or inclusion, if you have a legitimized program of citizenship, the people who are citizens benefit. Well said, sir. I appreciate the call. 775-5559. You're on KNOX. Good morning. Howdy, Noah. Double dipping a little bit. but uh, Always allowed. I feel like... Uh, I feel like here, here's what I think, okay? I understand that it, they see things this way, and they have a very humanitarian point of view, of course, the Democratic Party. That's fine. But you cannot put the cart before the horse and, and act against the law. That, mm-hmm. That's just not allowed. I understand that they want people to immigrate, and I think immigration yes. should be easier. 
many family immigrants, and I look at their paperwork, and it's like, holy cow, this is a headache. But they did it because they love this country. They uh-huh. want a better life. And here's the thing. Regular American citizens are becoming second-class citizens in a way, which is what I'm seeing, because these illegal immigrants come over, they go to the sanctuary cities, they get their free stuff in many cases. But if you were me, go ahead and take the pistol brace off an AR pistol and put on a rifle stock or put on a vertical grip without a tax stamp, we could go to prison. If you modify your weapon or you make a silencer or something like that, you can go to prison. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So many things. It's just it's yeah. mind-boggling, Noah. I don't know how they get away with this. As an Amer- You're right. As an American citizen, you have a equal or greater chance of of being persecuted by the law than somebody who is in the country. The very existence is a violation of the law. 775-5559, you're on KNOX. Good morning. Uh, I just wanted to remind everybody, remember when Trump had his own caravan of illegals? This comes back to the, the points that I always say. There is a demand and sexual appetite in this country for cheap labor. Yep. And if you want to get to the root of this problem, you you go to the demand. You You don't punish these people because they're filling a demand. You know what? I would say do both. You kick the people out that are here illegally and you punish the people that are employing them because both are breaking the law, so both should be held accountable. Well, even your golden calf, Ronald Reagan, saw the need for amnesty. Yeah, as a one-time there thing. There needs to be comprehended. We need a comprehensive reform plan, and it's exactly what this administration is trying to do. I don't disagree with that. And you know what, sir? To a certain degree, I can see that. When I can see Biden changing his – he's softening his approach to saying, hey, there is a crisis on the border, and I do have to take a different approach. So I, I, can, see where, I can see where the tide is changing a little bit, and I agree that, in, that reform is necessary. I would just I stand firm on the idea that the reform comes first, then you come across the border, not the other way around. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. Do we have you this time? Oh yeah, you do. And I I have to comment on the last the caller two times ago about talking about the uh, Democrat and the humanitarian view. The truth is they're they're selfish. They they believe if they let everybody run through the border, that's a vote for them. Mm-hmm. So that's selfish. We'll start with that. And number two, at last, I talked about, you know, we need a, a better policy. First, you have to make sure that everybody understands you. You go by the policy we, ha- we have on the books today, or we don't change the policy, period. Why bother? Yeah, sure. If the, you're right. If the answer is you can't say no, so we're just finding ways to say yes easier, what's the point of having a policy at all? The answer has to first say we have the ability to say no. Then we can decide to make it easier to say yes. I think I think we get t- so tired of everybody saying it's a bad policy and we're just going to let everybody run in the door and you got all these people saying, well, let's change the policy. No. First, you have a policy of legal immigration on how to get there. Once we do that, that we, that we already have on the books and everybody uh, abides by that, then we can change the policy. But why even bother? change in any policy because there's always going to be a group of how uh, i'm exposed right now would be about 50 million mm-hmm. that decide that policy is not for me 100 percent. that's an excellent point i i really appreciate your contributions to the program not just today but in general my friend all right 10 30 newsroom we go doug barrett standing by with the latest this is critical thought on KNOX.
Radio, 1310 KNOX, 107.9, 103.3 FM. Good morning, 1039, 16 out. Illinois on Tuesday became the latest United uh, U.S. state to ban the sale or possession of semi-automatic weapons. Just hours after the legislature passage in both chambers for Illinois Attorney uh, General Assembly, Governor J.B. Pritzker signed the Protect Illinois Communities Act into law during a ceremony at the state capitol in Springfield. Supporters, some of whom are gun violence survivors, erupted with applause and cheers as the governor presented the signed document. So my question at 775-5559, now that there is an assault weapon ban in Illinois, will this finally reduce all of the violent crime that occurs in Illinois, primarily Chicago? I want to hear from you. What is your prediction? Is that going to happen? 775-5559, you're on KNOX. Good morning. Oh, I can double dip, too. Always allowed. This this border situation has been going on for decades, and it's nonsense. I mean, the old thing, and it's still true, the Dems want it for votes, and the Republicans wanted it for cheap labor. And that's, you know, still going on. We have laws on the book, right on our books right now. They don't seem to be enforced. To me, it's with all the illegal drugs coming across our border and everything else and these tunnels I hear about and blah blah it's time to shut that border down 95,000 people came to Minnesota illegally and are living illegally in in the state of Minnesota 95,000 so if that's nonsense it is if you know that there's 95,000 people there and now we're saying that they're all going to come to the DMV and apply for a driver's license explain to me how we wouldn't take that opportunity to flag illegal immigrants so that you'd have the address listed on file and you could go deport them when the time comes yeah it's uh, out of control and just uh, we just need to simplify it down because it can get all muddled these politicians on both sides have a way of just rhetoric and getting all the diarrhea of the mouth <laughs> Just get real simple. We have laws in the book now. Shut that border down. We could do it with drones, with our military. Shut it down and make it just very difficult to come through there, as well as our our ports. I guess there's a lot of illegals come through the ports. But there's uh, two or three ways. I'm not a lawyer, but there's two or three ways to come to our great country legally. And I think the only way that you can kind of come illegally, if you can really come from a country where your life is threatened uh, asylum asylum asylums mm-hmm. but that's that's a should be the fair but we're we're taking like you said 75,000 in just Minnesota then and I'm for helping people but all of a sudden the people of Minnesota have to help some 75,000 people or that's just all slave labor yeah not 90, 95,000 people in Minnesota that's twice the population over twice the population of, of Grand Forks I mean that's ridiculous yeah. It's ridiculous. So we need to just get strong with our public servants, to me, and border down. I love it. Thank I pre- you. Have a good day. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the call. So just hours after the legislation in Illinois passed uh, in both chambers, they uh, there's all this applause. People are very happy. Uh, gun violence survivors erupted with cheer and applause because this is going to fix Illinois' gun problem and their violence problem. Okay, fine. So how long do we have to wait before we can put life-saving rifles back in the hands of law-abiding citizens? You see what I did there? Do not let, do not let people control the language. They take 
control of the language and they call it an assault weapon. So you call it an assault weapon and pretty soon it's an assault weapon. Let me not to get too down in the weeds here with gun stuff, but why does nobody care about the Ruger Mini 14? I'll tell you why, because it's considered a hunting rifle. We have to ban AR-15s and AK-47s because everybody knows those are assault rifles. And so those have to go. They're big, bad, and dangerous and black. So you can't have those. But the Ruger Mini-14, well, that's a hunting rifle. Oh, hold on a second. It has an equivalent magazine. You can still put a 30-round or a 100-round if you want a drum magazine. It's still a semi-automatic rifle. In fact, it's chambered in 223. So really, ballistically speaking, it's absolutely identical to the AR-15. And if you chamber it in 7.62 by 39, which I'm sure somebody has done, it's identical to the AK-47. So from a technical perspective, aren't they the exact same gun? No. Why? Well, one's a hunting rifle and one's an assault rifle. How do you define that? One's black and one has a wood stock. Oh, okay. 775-5559. You're on KNOX. Good morning. Sorry, apologize. I'm sound like a broken record, but you know, I just woke up this morning, had my coffee, read the news. Don't normally do that. Went on BBC. Six injured in a stabbing in Paris. They were stopped by two off-duty police officers that were going home from their shift. Whether they stopped them with a gun, I don't know. But six injured in a stabbing. They yeah. all were injured within one minute. In, so first, first things first, a knife at its respective distance is more dangerous than a gun. You can, you can, you you can produce a larger, more life-threatening wound at a knife at its respective distance than you can with a gun. Second thing is, in Paris, they didn't have guns. They walked up and they said, stop, or I'll say stop again. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude, that wasn't in there, but yeah, you know. <laughs> I appreciate the call. It's a knife, you know. Yeah, have a good one. 775-5559, you're on KNOX. Good morning. Just like in Britain, though, they all stop or I'll blow my whistle. Yeah, that, well, they can. I think in I think in the UK, I think they can ask for. I think they have like armed response units, so they blow their little rape whistle or whatever, or get on the radio and ask the you know their friends to come back them up, and then the adults come into the room and, and help them out. Well, you know when when seconds are important, it's great to know the police <laughs> are minutes away. But <clears throat> I think what we need is we need a ban on assault laws. You know, laws that assault our freedom to even defend ourselves mm-hmm. you know maybe, maybe that's what we need to banning is assault laws or maybe we should ban politicians that propose assault laws maybe they should be banned but again like so think about it how long does the law have to have to be on the books and how long do we have to try this idiotic idea before we can turn around and say okay that didn't work like it didn't reduce it turns out the guy that showed up to do the mass shooting didn't care that you passed a law banning the gun he wanted to use Imagine that. How long do we have it, it to let that play? Ma- Forever. It doesn't matter because here's a perfect example. Paul Ehrlich has been making basically end-of-the-world claims for the last 50 years concerning the environment. He has been wrong 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. Who does the mainstream media go to for an expert opinion on something when it comes to environmentalism? The same guy mm-hmm. over and over and over again even though he's wrong. So it's, it's to perpetuity. They will never stop. They have an agenda. And whether it's right or wrong, they don't care because it seems that leftist-ism is a religion. It's an ism. It's a religion. And basically, it's, it's one of their sacraments, kind of like abortion, kind of like all of these other things, internationalism, basically a non-border policy, banning guns, 
or banning large capacity magazines or banning a gun because of the way it looks. Mm-hmm. If we can't ban all of them, we'll ban this one because of the way it looks. So it att- is, it's, it's insanity is really what it is. And it, it will be there for perpetuity. There is no way you will ever convince them to stop and try and find an actual solution because in their heads, there is only one solution, unfortunately. So a text messenger had this to say. She, uh, he said, can you imagine if the Mall of America banned black males in the age group coming into the mall? That would have reduced Mall of America shootings by 200%. Well, it's no different than a black gun, right? Well, that, that, I think that's his, guns. Isn't that racist? That, I think that's his point, right? So when it comes to a human being, we easily identify that as racist, and so we cast the idea out. But when it comes to, when it comes to an inanimate object then it's perfectly appropriate to say, I will be driven by fear. Depending on how it looks, depending on how much fear it instills in me, that will drive my decision more so than an actual ability to articulate how this law is going to prevent the crime that I say it's going to. Again, I and I thank you for the call. Where is the mass shooter? You find me the mass shooter that says, you know, I was going to commit this horrific act, and then I didn't because I found out that the gun that I was going to use was it was actually it was banned in the state that I was going to use it, and I just I couldn't do that. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. You're on KNOX. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. You know the thing about this is I listen often because I enjoy the voices and the opinions and whatnot. But when in the world? Are people going to understand and wake up to the fact that all of our trust in agencies from the top to the bottom are captured and controlled? You know, I mean, look at it. Uh, the people that we place in authority or given a certain power, you know, to do what we are, what our will is, have failed us um, from the top ed, you know, echelon of the government, the military and its woke business, the judicial system and its arbitrary prosecution of people. Um, law enforcement is <sighs> challenged. Uh, educational system from higher education down to public schools, grade schools, for God's sakes. Um, the churches, the churches have been, are infiltrated, I believe, in this woke business um, and everything that it entails. Uh, medical systems have been compromised. They've been bought. They, you know, they're controlled by pharma and insurance companies and this this totalitarian rollout that we're going under and have been under for three years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's gone down all the way to the little puny small town governments like we're dealing with in Grand Forks. Mm-hmm. It, they've been bought out. They've been either captured one way or another, either extorted, bought out, or promised a golden ticket to, you know, some happy land when when all of it it, uh, shakes out it's um i I don't i have never been feeling so vulnerable and voiceless and i'm not hopeless because there's a few things going on and i think there's more information coming out regarding a variety of things but um it's it's trouble man and but people are looking you know i'm going to tweak this i'm going to get a I'm going to get a uh, path down the river way. I'm going mm-hmm. to uh, get this gun or this attachment for my gun. You know, those are all little distractions, I think, in a lot of ways. Because what is going on in the big movement of this is at such a deep systemic level that um, if, if people can be bickering and arguing about the, the surface details, we're preoccupied. And uh, I don't know what the solution is, but awareness and education is probably the first step. I completely agree. 
I completely agree. That would address the root cause of the problem, which is people don't they a they don't value other human life. B they make poor decisions because they're not educated and don't have all of the information available to them. So you're right. Education and discussion is the first step. It leads us to a constructive solution to address the root cause of the problem that prevents the violence in the first place. The tool necessary to implement the violence isn't the problem. At the end of the day, if you're not willing to ban rider trucks, look at Timothy McVeigh. Took uh, essentially fertilizer and a rental truck and did more damage than an AR-15 ever is capable of doing. This is Critical Thought on KNOX. Radio 1310 KNOX 107.9, 103.3 FM, 1056.17 above. We're talking about Illinois becoming the latest state to pass an assault weapons ban, banning AR-15s, AK-47s, 775-5559. That is the number to add your voice to the conversation. You're on KNOX. Good morning. Everybody's double dipping, so it's my turn. Absolutely. Um, double dipping's always yeah. uh, always encouraged. Yeah. Being an avid gun person, you know what Tannerite is, don't you? I do. Okay. Now, obviously, there are not many liberals who hate guns, uh, just like the bump stock. You know, one incident with that, then where was it, Las Vegas, and then they got bump stock banned. Right. But if these people knew what Tannerite was and what it did, that you can go down to Shields or Cabela's or even make your own with two ingredients, mm-hmm. um, they would be screaming to have that banned, too. Probably. I, uh, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, you know what it does. I do. Here, so yeah, I blew up a fridge with it. I know exactly what it does. But but here's here's the deal, though. I it largely the amount of tannerite that you need to do something is is you know it's it's a lot. It it goes bang, but it doesn't have a big bang. The other thing is it doesn't have a lot of pressure behind it. So even when you put it inside of an enclosed thing, it you know it. It, and and then it, it it requires a concussion to set the thing off. So you got to mix the things together, and then you have to pr- apply a concussive force. So that's difficult to set up. Fertilizer doesn't have any of those requirements, right? So it makes a bigger bang. It's cheaper. It's easier to buy in bulk quantity, and it does go bang under pressure. And you can light it on fire as opposed to having to have a you know a um I'm I'm not thinking of the name, but whatever have some sort of percussion yeah. impact. I mean, you can hit it with a hammer and it's not going to go off. You right. basically have to shoot it with a high power rifle. Yes. It's ammonium nitrate fertilizer, which is the explosive type of fertilizer. Oh, and okay. Instead of diesel fuel, it uses uses ammonium fertilizer, ammonium nitrate fertilizer, mm-hmm. and aluminum powder, very fine aluminum powder. Okay. And you, I don't, you must not have used it because I use it in gopher holes. I pack it in there, uh-huh. a quarter pound or a half a pound, and I put it inside of things. Uh, no, it. Blows crap up. Huh. I appreciate go, the call. Go, I, on you, go on YouTube and look up Tannerite. Yeah, I will. I've videos. I've definitely uh, used it before. I've I've taken the, the the little jars and shot them individually, and then a couple of buddies of mine, uh, we put a bunch of them inside of a refrigerator and uh, and and shot shot the Tannerite off. So I, I I've used it, but again, I've just 
Yeah, I think I think if you're trying to do damage, there are more dangerous chemicals that could be used. But my, I guess my point in all of that is if you're not willing to ban those things, don't worry about the AR-15s. I'll be keeping an eye, though. 630 homicides in Chicago, 2,600 for the year 2022. Let's see if that goes down with the assault weapons ban. This is Critical Thought on KNOX. Radio 1310 KNOX 107.9 103.3 FM. Good morning, 11.06 and 17 out. My name is Noah Chalaya. I am your host. Delighted to be here with you this morning. Congress was full of good intentions when it directed the Department of Health and Human Services to make sure that patients get their test results as soon as they're available. But the implementation of that directive has set off a battle between doctors and on one side and HHS and patient advocates on the other side and has raised a fundamental question. How should patients get bad news? The debate underscores how medicine's digital transformation is changing the doctor-patient relationship and upending ingrained practices. So our question to you at 775-5559 is, should you have to wait for your doctor to give you the results of of a given test, or should you have access to them as soon as they are available? There are a few things that I come into the program and I have my mind set up and I'm almost I don't see a way for me to change my mind, but this is certainly one of them. The days when only a handful of people have access to information are long gone, long, long gone. That is a thing of the past. It does not exist anymore. And if you're trying to if you're trying to base laws and or structure a given industry around that concept, you are fighting a losing battle. That is no longer the way the world works. There absolutely was a time. When people would come into their doctor's office and they would have their idea of, my uncle said that, you know, if I have it. Okay, that your uncle didn't go to medical school, has no idea what he's talking about. But that isn't what's happening today. Today, if you have a question, you have the means to get connected to a professional of any time, day or night. And when I say any professional, I mean any professional of any industry. Now, is it going to be licensed and all of the things to where you can verify the person's credentials and all of that? Probably not. But I submit to you, if you went on Reddit and said, hey, got these results back from my doctor and uh, it's nine o'clock at night and they're not answering the phone. Here's what the results are. Can anybody tell me what this means? Within 24 hours, somebody will give you the accurate answer to what what those results mean. And if if by some strange circumstance the person is wrong and they've made it up, moments later somebody else will come along and say that guy's wrong, here's what's the correct answer and then source I'm a doctor or I'm a nurse or I'm the guy that calls and does the lab results or whatever the answer is. The days when a handful of people have access to this information are long since gone. So, I submit to you that the earliest available opportunity for that information to be available should be made available to you the patient. Why? Because A doctor should not be able to hold you, their patient, hostage for the results of you, their test, that impacts you, their life. Does that make sense? If you you go in for a test and say, I wonder if I have cancer and I want this thing biopsied because I want to know if it's cancerous. 
There is absolutely no reason under the sun. There's no good justifiable reason under the sun why you should have to wait for a doctor to interpret the results and give them to you as opposed to just give them to you. And the argument the doctors are making is, quite frankly, really frustrating to me. The argument the doctors are making is that they need to be the one to deliver the bad news because you can't be trusted to handle this on your own. And so you might arrive at all sorts of incorrect conclusions. And oh, by the way, you it might cause you stress and frustration if on Friday the results come in at 9 p.m. and you have to wait until Monday till somebody's back in their office to answer the question. So there are two huge glaring problems with that point of view. The first huge glaring problem with that point of view is so what? If somebody has a debilitating condition or a life-threatening condition, so what if they found out about it 48 hours and had to live with the consequences? I have news for you. That isn't going to change on Monday when you get back to the office. It's going to impact their life the same way. They just had the dignity and the ability to find out about it on Friday instead of having to wait for a time that, that conveniently works with your schedule so that you can conveniently break the bad news about their life debilitating condition. The second massive problem with that point of view is it presupposes that the doctor is unwilling to take a call at nine o'clock at night, which isn't true of every doctor. I get that there's an inherent bias because Dr. Chalaya is my father, but at the same time, he gives a cell phone number out every week when he's on the air. Do you know why? Because if you have a medical question at two, three in the morning, well, I guess that's when you're having the conversation with your doctor. And that's the job he signed up for. And he's well aware of that. 775-5559. You're on KNOX. Good morning. Noah, how's it going? Fired up today. Okay, well, I um, I like getting my test results. I use that uh, app that they have at my hospital at Stanford. It's called MyChart. Yep. And I get my test results, and then I don't know what they mean. So I'm all for getting it, and I get, and then I get worried. You know, oh, what the heck is this? What the heck? I don't know what any of these numbers are. Sure. Blah, blah, blah. And then and then they flag it, oh, this is above what it's supposed to be or whatever. So it'd be nice if somehow if I'm for this deal where they, you, you got to get your information out as quick as possible. But it'd be nice if they could put a little note at the bottom, you know, explaining a little better. And that's just a lot more bureaucracy, takes a lot more doctor's time. But if they could kind of ease your mind and tell that you get Go see the doctor on Monday if you get it on Friday. You know, I you know think, what I mean? I, I think that's reasonable if the results come back before like 5 o'clock, right? The, but in, in, in the circumstances, the argument that the doctors are making is the results come in at 9 o'clock. It's four hours after they've left the office, right? So there's nobody there to interpret those results and give them to you. Their argument is, well, just withhold the results for another two days and then deliver the results when they can deliver the interpretation of the results. And while I can understand your point of view and where you're coming from, I would respectfully submit to you that not everybody is in that boat, right? Like, I may not understand those results, but my wife is a nurse, so I can ask her. And if she doesn't know, I have many, not just my dad, many people in my family are doctors. So I have somebody else I can call and, and get answers to that. And even if you didn't have that available to you in the way of an immediate family member, you could go on the Internet and you could ask somebody there and they would be able to help you understand those results, even if it's two in the morning. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. It's just it's just nerve wracking. So I get that. But I like getting my results quick. Sure. And I do. That's what I do. I just Google it and figure it out myself. Exactly. But it'd be like, even even if the lab would even put something, I don't know if the lab, that's, they can't. that's just extra red tape and more 
time-consuming, so you probably get the results later if they have to do a big. Yeah, report, they they can't. Know? They can't. And the, the reason for that is because they're not there to interpret the results. They're just there to process them. Right. It takes a doctor to interpret them. Exactly. So that's where I sit on. I'm for it, but it just I get nervous when I see them. Yep. I, I and pre- then I just have to wait. Yep. Yeah. And and you know what? At the end of the day, sir, I mean, you could always just choose not to open the lab results until you, and go over them with your doctor. That's an option too. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. You're on KNOX. Good morning. You know, I'll take this uh, one step further. Um, it gets a little frustrating when uh, you know with the way we have technology these days that uh, you know physicians and things like that they they still must require in person visits to kind of go over interpretations of things, mm-hmm. even if they don't have to do anything different. So, for example, um, someone close to me had uh, an issue has an issue with thyroid and uh, got a full battery of tests. Like, let's say it happened last week, got a full battery of tests. There really isn't any other test that any other doctor could perform, um, but wants to question those uh, the interpretation of it. So they want a second opinion to reach out to a more specialized uh, facility. So instead of doing an, uh, something where we could release the medical records and and uh, and get all those tests that were only a week old uh, down to that other facility, they said, "No, we need to schedule an appointment so you can come in and see the doctor, and so they can give you that interpretation in person." Why? What sense does that make? The, oh, uh, because it, well, there's two there's two reasons for it. One is a less noble reason, which is that they can bill you for an office visit. But I, it's it would be 100%. dishonest for me not to put that out there. So that's one reason. The other reason, though, is liability. Doctors don't want to get sued, and so the problem is if it's just results, right? If it's literally just, particularly if they're negative results. So, and when I say negative, I mean that there isn't something to be concerned about. So the, the, the doctor calls you up, hey, we screened you for X, and it came up negative, so there's no problem. Have a great day. That happens all the time. The nurse can call you, and they should just let you do that without coming in with a consult. Where it gets a little more dicey is if it's a positive result, that is to say there's something wrong and they need to do something, it's not just delivering the results, it's also going over what your treatment options are and what the next steps are. And the problem is, if they don't do that, if they just call you on the phone and say, hey, I delivered the results and told them this, and then you don't do anything about it and something happens to you, they go, they can go back and sue the doctor and say, he knew that this was wrong. And he didn't tell the patient that you have. So it's it's just it's better for them in in a legal sense if they can go to court and say, listen, I called him into my office. I sat him down. I explained to him that these are the results and here are his options. And then he left and said he understood them and he never came back. What am I to do? That is illegally that's defensible in court. I called the guy and talked to him for five minutes and he didn't he never showed back up. And so we just dropped it and then he died. That doesn't go over so well in court. That's the reason that they want you to come in. You know, I could see that, but at the same time, again, you know, like I said at the beginning, is with the technology we have today, there's eSign, there is video conference where you can record that. Oh, yeah. There's all these, all these, these different things that could preclude you from having to drive mm-hmm. seven hours mm-hmm. to a different facility to get a second opinion. Yeah, oh, 100%. And you know I what? Think, Telehealth, <laughs> t- telehealth is going that direction. It absolutely is. So uh, many doctors uh, will include telehealth and telehealth visits, particularly for going over where it's a discussion thing. Hey, here are the results and here are your options. That's 100% what telehealth is is great at. So I, I appreciate the call. It's definitely moving that direction. It's just it's going slowly because the healthcare industry is slow to adopt new things. But I appreciate the call. 775-5559. You're on KNOX. Good morning. Hi, Noah. You more or less uh, defined everything I was going to say about why there should be a visit with the doctor. Mm-hmm. That's so the doctor can go over things and there's a two-way discussion rather sure. than just, you know, an email 
or the my chart, which I appreciate my chart, but I like to hear the doctor's point of view. And then if I have a question, I can get responded to immediately. It's just a better form of communication. And uh, telehealth has actually been around since 97. Mm -hmm. I was a member of it as a flood recovery person Mm -hmm. in town here. Um, So it's been advancing a long time. Uh, I saw a lot more video conferencing. I participated in a couple myself with doctor visits during the COVID situation. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like in North Dakota, we're kind of like old school, but we also have the technology. We just don't use it as often. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's kind of like as needed. (laughs) 100%. But that is. I think that last caller could certainly ought to do a video conference. But the point is, have a discussion with your doctor so you can hear the positives. Uh, In your terms, positive meaning you got an illness, but I mean the positive as in what kind of treatments are available. I mean, you might get some poor person at home getting some kind of diagnosis that scares the crap out of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that would be a a worrisome thing to me. I I would like to have the ability to talk. I share your concern, and I appreciate the call, but at the same time, if somebody feels like they're not they're they're not prepared to deal with a potentially negative result, then the answer is don't look at the result until you go in and visit with your doctor. And here's something else: you talk about getting the most bang for your buck when you go in for your doctor. There are times, and I absolutely experienced this with a family member of mine. Uh, had a family member of mine had absolutely debilitating pain and needed to get into a doctor, called a hospital, and they said, "Yeah, we can get you in in like uh, six seven months." And family member went, hold up a sec. I can't move. Like, this is really bad. I need to get in immediately. And they said, yeah, yeah, well, I mean, six months is what we can get you in, right? And so going into a doc, and so then once you go in, the first time it's the initial exam, then they recommend a series of diagnostic tests. Then you come back and go over the diagnostic tests, then go over treatment options and all of that. The problem is that time that you get with the doctor is incredibly limited. And so the ability to go into that meeting ahead of time prepared to say, I know what the results are. I've done my own research, so I know what questions I want to ask and make the most out of my time of my doctor. That's only possible if those results are given to you before you meet with the doctor. If you have to wait until you meet with the doctor, then really there needs to be two consults. One, where you go in and meet with the doctor and they give you the results. Then you need to go home and think about it for a day or two. Develop your own questions and how you want to and and what you want to do and where your priorities are and what questions come along with that. And then another follow-up to where you can go ask those questions. 775-5559. You're on KNOX. Good morning. Um, I have no problem with uh, getting the results uh, right away, but there should be some kind of a, a, a disclaimer on there, something that says, hey, we need to follow up with this. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, the problem I have with going in for a, cons- for a to meet with the doctor is to just to discuss the results is uh, your doctor doesn't know you anymore. Gone are those days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you I get a hospital well, sometimes. You, yeah, you, you, you might get a hospitalist. You get a, a di- there's no more just going to the doctor. Yep. You have to see the oncologist. You have to see the ear, nose, and throat. You have to see the yep. cardiologist. And none of them um, um, actually know your history mm-hmm. except unless it's written down. Mm-hmm. So um, I can see definitely see both ways. But, but gone are the days where uh, only the doctors have information. Yeah, 100%. I think you should have that before you go in to see the doctor. But you do need to fo- do follow-ups. But um, you should have that information before you go in. Absolutely. 
Uh, yeah, and, and I, I guess the only thing I would I would amend that is I would say that it, you should have the option of going in. It should be recommended that you go right. in. At the end of the day, you should be able to say, yeah. no, I don't want to follow up with you. Exactly, because uh, sometimes, it, let's face it, it's not needed. Yeah, or sometimes so. you don't agree. Like, a doctor comes back and says, hey, this is my interpretation of this, and this is what I think you should do. If the If that answer is surgery for example you might say mm-hmm. no way man i'm not you're not cutting into me yet like i'm a, if i go to two or three other doctors and they all have the same opinion then maybe i would do that um so i think it's or or i'm sorry mr shalaya this uh looks like it might uh be it might be cancer we need mm-hmm. to talk to you and um hey uh i'm not going to do anything about it yeah that's, oh, absolutely uh, that's choice. you know then there'd be no point to go in so yeah. Which a lot of people choose that option. So. You're you're 100% right. In fact, I've chosen that option. I, I won't go into specifics, but I, I, I went in and found out that, hey, this is a problem. Okay, what can be done about it? Well, nothing. Okay, well, then why are we? Then why would I bother looking to see if the problem even exists? There's no point in doing the diagnostic thing if there's nothing you can do about it anyway. So, and I absolutely made that decision. 775-5559 or... If you wouldn't be willing to make a decision to do something about it, you might look into it and say, okay, here are the possible options. If the test comes back positive, then here would be my treatment options. I wouldn't be willing to undergo any of those treatment options, so it's not even worth doing the diagnostic thing. If it kills me, it kills me. Um, Not a bad route to go at all. And I've seen enough people that have, quote unquote, survived by uh, seeking treatment options to try and extend their life. And what they turned into was they had one year left and they traded one good year for three really horrific years. And that wouldn't be, and that's fine. If that's a choice that you make, I'm not trying to judge you. I mean, you do you, you got one life to live, live it to its fullest, but that wouldn't be a choice I would make. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. You're on KNOX. Good morning. Well, I kind of enjoyed uh, my chart with my, yes. you know, I could go back. And then the last 10 years, I get a physical every year and get my flu shots. And I actually had a couple of COVID shots. All this stuff is in my chart, all the stuff I've done. Mm-hmm. So let's say something happens to me, and uh, I go in, and they got good records of what I've had and what I haven't, and I'm ready for another this shot or that shot, you know, like for, um, oh, what's the one where you get poked on a nail? It's tetanus. Tetanus, that one. And uh, so it, it, it's good to know, because as you get older, uh, us older people, well, I'm 65, we start forgetting stuff. You mm-hmm. just pop on your chart. By golly, I need that. I, I, should, I can go give blood now. It's been six months. I can do this. I can do that. And a few years back, I had a problem when I got bit, bit by a deer tick. Mm-hmm. And it made PSA go wild. And, and I got sent to Fargo because you got prostate cancer, they told me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you went and did the test. No, I didn't have prostate cancer. The, the deer tick did that. Mm-hmm. Did it on my PSA numbers. And now I'm back to normal again. So here's the thing. The, the convenience yeah. factor is one thing, but I would ask this. Have you considered who has who has that who stores that information, where that information is stored, and who has access to it? Oh, China's got it. <laughs> so I mean, maybe, and and here's the thing: maybe we don't care. Maybe the convenience factor says I don't care. I'd rather just have access to it on my smartphone. But don't kid yourself. If you're in, if you go to see a provider and that provider gives you access to that information, you notice the app is always my chart. It's because it's tied to Epic. You know where Epic is? Every major hospital, and so there. Epic is who is storing that information on behalf of the hospital, and you don't have a right to have that information removed. So once that's on record, they have it forever, and you don't necessarily get a say in who accesses it. There's HIPAA laws, and there is disclosure laws, so you have to, you know, there is the, the 
you have to fill out a, a you know a release of records. But a lot of times that's just a part of standard care. They'll have you sign that when you walk through the front door, and then they request your records, and then it it's, that's entirely outside of your control. So again, not a point, not a hill I would die on, but at least something worth considering. Food for thought, as they say. We'll take the break here. We'll continue in the next segment. This is Critical Thought on KNOX. Radio 1310, KNOX 107.9, 103.3 FM. Good morning, 11.39, 17 out. We're talking about Congress passing or directing the Department of Health and Human Services to make sure that patients get their test results as soon as they're available. So this is the directive given back in 2016. Doctors have now come out and said, you know, actually, we really want to be the ones to give patients bad news. And when you give patients lab results, results to tests, those sorts of things, They may get them at times when we're not in the office and then they may have questions and we may not be able to answer them in a timely fashion. And so rather than give patients access to that information, we'd rather you give the information to us and then we will disclose it to the patient when we have time. And in that way, we'll be able to answer any uh, remaining concerns or questions. And so our question to you at 775-5559, should you have to wait for your doctor to give you the results or should you have access to them as soon as they're available? Now, most of you have called in and said, Yeah, I want the ability to get access to those immediately. One text messenger has this to say, is there a chat GPT client for medical? So if you're not familiar with chat GPT, chat GPT is an artificial intelligence uh, software stack, I guess we'll call it, that allows you to give it a term and it will do things like write an entire paper for you. And so college kids are using this and so on and so forth. So it's not chat GPT specifically, but is AI being used in healthcare? Absolutely. The use of deep learning and clinical diagnosis to detect and treat cancer is one of the major ways that AI is being used. So in medicine, they use something called a confidence interval. And the idea here is that you're aiming for 95%. It has to be accurate. It has to be accurate enough to be able to make a diagnosis. And so they've been able to demonstrate a 95% confidence interval uh, by both radiologists as well as AI. And so given the AI's ability to consistently train themselves, there's a a high likelihood that their efficiency will improve over time and you'll actually likely get better results from AI than you would get from a human being. And we're rapidly approaching that. So today... It's on par with what a radiologist can do. They can look at the results and say, hey, that's breast cancer. Hey, that is that is a malignant tumor. At the same time, it's going to continue to get better. So it's not GPT, but the technology you're asking about absolutely exists. Text messenger says, I like to get the results instantly, but maybe they could create a setting where you only see the doc's interpretation. My doc sends a letter that I can see online within 23 hours. So again, what you're... (laughs) 
there we have to we have to outline the timeline, right? So you go in for the test, you get the test, you get the results for the test, your doctor then interprets the results and then gives you his or her interpretation. That last little part there, parts C and D we'll call it, you're trying to put the cart before the horse. You can't get the letter from your doctor explaining it until the doctor has looked at the results. So yes, they may do that within 23 hours, but if the results come out at, let's say, 11.30 p.m. on a Friday night, the doctor is likely not even going to see the results him or herself until Monday morning, at which point then they could generate a letter, at which point then you'd be able to see that. So the debate is happening before the point in time that you're talking about. The debate is, should you be able to see the results in their rawest form? 775-5559, you're on KNOX. Good morning. Good, after- good morning, Ohio. I already think it's afternoon. Um, <laughs> We're close. I just wanted to weigh in on, I just wanted to weigh in on this, um, just from personal experience. I do use my chart. Um, I like to see the results of my test as soon as they come in, specifically labs, um, because, uh, you know what, I'm 65, I understand the labs now, I've had them drawn so many times mm-hmm. in my life. I think what's really beneficial is, so through the my chart process, I had my, my dad come to me, my dad was in his 80s, he wouldn't, didn't know how to use my chart, iPhone, whatever. So all my dad's results would come to me, and here's where the winner is about having those tests come to you. At this point, I, I did. I took my dad in. He was not able to be, he was difficulty breathing. The gal that saw him said, the nurse practitioner said, I think we should draw labs right away and we'll determine whether he needs to be hospitalized. That was at three in the afternoon. At that point, the labs did not come into my dad's chart yet. I wasn't quite hooked up to that whole system. And I waited the rest of the day. I never got a call, never got any results. The next day by noon, I literally went over to the clinic, the one that he was going through. And I said, hey, what's going on? You know, like, well, she went on vacation after she drew, had your dad's labs drawn, and she forgot to tell somebody that they needed to oversee his chart. Had those results come to me, I know enough about his kidney function and all those things, GFR, I know how to read the labs. I myself would have been able to know at that point in time what process I needed to take for my father. So, so, so you would say yeah. that you cared about your you would say that you care about your dad and you're involved and invested in his care. So it may have been one thing on some one person's mind for part of the day. It was the only thing on your mind the entire day. Right. And so from that day forward, all of my parents' stuff came on our phone, us kids that were taking care of them. Good. Right to the their life. Yeah. And then the last thing I will share with you on the my chart thing, the place where I disagree with getting certain things through my chart. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost my dad two years ago. I do not think that his physician should have sent to me through my chart. Um, your dad's going to become deceased and the end of life medications are sent to such and such a drugstore. Mm. And that's how I knew my dad's kidneys had were now definitely failing. I and I took a screenshot of it. I have it on my phone to this day. I think that some physicians there is some protocols that those should have been phone calls made, not yes. to my charge. Absolutely. It's where so and to be clear, that is totally different than what we're talking about, right? Because it's one thing to say that you should get access to the information as soon as it's available. It's an, some, it's an entirely different situation when your doctor is trying to communicate with you and sending you a message through my chart as opposed to, to making the time to sit down with you and explain what is was undoubtedly a very difficult and life-altering uh, news to break to you. Absolutely. That, those are two completely different scenarios. That's why I wanted to share them with you. But yes, I think we pay for this. I think that the service is there. We can pay our bills yes. now through my 
we can do everything through my chart. So why shouldn't I have access to my results when, when someone has read them and they're posted? A hundred percent. Hey, I appreciate the call. Excellent point. Um, we'll take the last break here. We'll wrap it up in the next segment, hand it off to Brian Michaels. That lady, you know, the thing that really just sends it home for me is the idea that they're your lab results. You paid for them. They're the results of your test. And ultimately, you're the one that's responsible and has to deal with the consequences of the results of those tests, right? The doctor will spend five, 10 minutes with you an hour, whatever it takes. And then he or she, they're moving on with their day. And then they're going to the lake that weekend and they've forgotten about you because it's not personal. It's professional to them. So when it is personal, you should have the option of sitting in the driver's seat because it's your health care. Your health care. You are responsible for you. This is Critical Thought on KNOX. Radio 1310, KNOX 107.9, 103.3 FM. Good morning. Welcome back. 11.53 in the studio with me, Grandmaster B. How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. Did we ever land on a rap name for you? Uh, uh, I might have to consult with the computer. I might go to okay. a search engine for that. Okay. That's, um, that is how a lot of We got rappers... some good ones, mostly from Jay Money. Okay. Um, Paul which... Knight had, had a couple suggestions for you? Did Pastor Paul? I think so. He may have. He's coming in today. Oh, you should ask him. You might. I should ask him then. Yeah, he might have a good idea. Uh, you know, I kind of like the Snoop. I like Snoop Big Bry or uh, Snoop Snoopy Bry. Snoop or, Big Bry. That's come up a few you know, times. Maybe I we like just that. have to settle on that. Right? Yeah. Because we know who Snoop is. Yes. He's, he's one cool cat, that guy. Yes, absolutely. He truly is. He is. Yeah. So how are you doing? You're talking my chart. I'm, yeah, I have. I've been on fire today. I just, yeah. I got, I, you know, sometimes you get topics and it's like, okay, I could talk about that. I well, healthcare stuff is pretty strong with you. Yeah. You, you understand that pretty well. Well, and I have, I have, you know, I have, I have thoughts yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on that stuff because I, I thought about thoughts. it for so long. Yeah. It's like, why am I doing, why, why? Yeah. It's, that's all you got to do is be a little bit critical thinking. It, yes. You just got to ask why. Yeah. It was yeah. Question number one. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, King, uh, Larry King, he's since passed away, but yeah. Um, he was a great interviewer because he was genuinely curious. He yes. was like, well, why is that? You and know, that's all he, that's how he made his bones. He just asked why. You know who else is like that? Howard Stern. Yeah, Howard's good. The that man way. is just, he's yeah. just a born, like, he just wants to explore and wants yeah. to ask questions. He's inquisitive. Yeah. He's a really good interviewer. He's yep. gotten so much better at that throughout his career. I listen to that from time to time on the weekend. If I'm driving somewhere, I'll, I'll listen to the replays of that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And he does, he, he draws stuff out of people. Yep. You know. And he's, you know, and he's, uh, he's disarming too. Yes. You know, and he's, and he's genuinely curious. He's leaning in. He's like, Hey, you know what, you know, Mm -hmm. and he knows enough about the industry to where, you know, they know he's going to get the nuances that they're Mm -hmm. talking about. Yeah. And the other thing is he's, he's respectful and kind to people. I saw an interview he did with Jennifer Lawrence Mm -hmm. and just right off the bat was like, Hey, you know, all that stuff about hacking into iCloud, like that's disgusting. And I thought that was interesting coming from a person like Howard Stern. And I wouldn't have expected that from him, but from his point of view, it was unconsensual. Therefore, it was disgusting to him. And I thought, you know, good on you, man. Yeah. 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 He's a human being. But yeah, but he has, you know, he's got morals. He has, he has a line and he's yeah. not willing to cross it. Yeah. I, I think that's pretty cool. And he's got kids and all that. But he yeah. did, he got, he got COVID crazy. Did he? He did. He didn't, I think he was broadcasting from his home okay. for two years. 
I think well, recently he came out saying, yeah, first time I've left my home in like two years, and I think it was this fall. He, he is was terrified. Kind of, he's kind of neurotic. He is. you know, And he, he admits is. that. Yeah. Text yeah. messenger says, "Why? what's wrong with MCBM? MCBM is pretty good. Is that Jay Money? That is, nope, not Jay Money. One of the random people that we don't uh, have labeled. But you know, the thing I like about MCBM, it's kind of like ICBM, yeah. except MCBM. It's got a little bit of already built-in... Um, uh, built-in known factor. Yeah. That's and you are kind of an MC. Yeah. MCBM. Yeah. MCBC. M- MCBC. No, MCBM. Yeah, MCBM. Because your name's Brian Michaels. Yeah, that, yeah. thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, it's actually not. But anyway, um, thank you, uh, Nancy Hennon, for that name. Um, <laughs> you know, I went to Michaels. Did uh-huh. I ever tell you this story? No. So it, a long time ago, 100 years ago, okay. working at KZLT. Okay. K-Lite. Right, okay, I did yeah. middays, uh-huh. and she left, and I took her job over. And she's like, "Well, your last name's Herman, but it just doesn't work for me." I'm like, "Really?" Because at the time we had Hennessy, yep. Tim, yep. we had Hennon working there, Scott, Scott. Okay, so we got too many H's to begin with, okay. right? And then you got another one. And she's like, "Oh, how about Michaels?" And I'm like, "Okay, all right, <laughs> whatever there, you can rename there it if is. you want." <laughs> there it is, Brian Michaels. That's me. And you stuck with it ever since? Yeah, I've stuck with it ever since. Why not? Okay. You know. So it wasn't like a privacy thing for you. It was you got- No, it really wasn't. It used to be for people. Okay. Yeah. I I remember a guy I worked with, he told me about a fellow that changed his name from, I believe, Olson to Johnson. (laughs) And I thought, really? And then I also worked with a guy who worked at this radio station years and years ago. His name's Orly Knudsen. He didn't change it. Yeah. That was his name. Orland- uh-huh. Knudsen, uh-huh. Orly, Orly Knudsen, and he went with that. Huh? I mean, you know, he's a good hey. jock, too, really good jock. If it works. Yeah, but I mean, that's a long, drawn-out name, right? Mm-hmm. Knudsen. Mm-hmm. You don't hear that too often on the radio. I, th- I thought about, when I first got the full-time gig, I thought about it for a hot second. I was like, I wonder if I should have a radio name, and then I thought, how silly would that be? A, everybody knows, Yeah. and then B, on top of that, like, I'm going to screw it up. I'm going to say I'm your host, <laughs> and then I'm going to screw up my own name, because yeah. I've been saying my own name for 30-some plus well, years. Well, no, it's a solid first name, the Chalaya thing. You know, yeah. I mean, that people know that name too. Mm-hmm. You know, Noah Chalaya. Yeah. It sounds like actually a a dish. It sounds like some something you can order on a menu. So I'll, I'll let that you. Sounds in, weird. I'll I'm let sorry. you in on a, a little bit. No, it, it doesn't actually. A Family Feud uh, thing. When 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 I was born, my dad wanted to name me after his brother, brother who's named Bakhtaraj, and my mother said it sounded like a foot fungus, and so he wasn't allowed to do that. <laughs> and that's how I got the name Noah. <laughs> Thanks, mom. <laughs> and you're a pretty solid carpenter on the side as well. <laughs> Not bad. Got a lot of tools, a lot of saws, a lot of hammers, all that stuff. So uh, what's, what, what, you know, what's we're going to on your show? FAA stuff. Oh, we're yeah. We're going to check about that. Yeah. Um, They're back on track now? I believe they are. 6,400 flights delayed. Okay. Uh, I mean, one of the worst really, uh, and I don't know if it was a hack. I don't know if it was on. I mean, I'm, so, I'm so paranoid right now. I don't yeah. know what it is. Uh, we'll talk about the, uh, the, the Biden records. Okay. A bunch of thoughts on that. Yeah. You know, what, what took place there um, and all that. And, and how he's being handled with kid gloves. He will be. No, I mean, they're the going to investigate him. The, whatever. The tone, you know, they won't. I mean, they will, but it'll be. He didn't know. That's it. But again, we it's fresh on our minds how it was handled with Trump. And uh-huh. then we see it with, with President Biden, how it's being handled. It's completely different. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. almost complete. You never get apples to apples, but I think this one is apples Well, you apples. know why? It's because Trump was, he didn't just send his aide over there and box the records up and say, well, I guess he did actually. But somehow it's different. It is it's always different. different. Well, you know, actually, here's what it is. Biden is for the people. Trump is, he's an election denier. That's what. <laughs> that's what it is. That's what it is. Bingo. Yeah. Other stuff too. And some low-hanging fruit too. And Pastor Paul. 
and Pastor Paul. Yep. It's all coming up on MCBM in the <gasps> afternoon. <laughs> Prime Michaels. It's up next on News Radio 1310 KNOX.